0: You're listening to the We Are Libertarians podcast network. Find all of our shows at wearelibertarians.com. Welcome to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Now Hear This is a conversation with leaders in Indianapolis that are working to improve the lives of Hoosiers. Our goal is to empower you to join in their work and make a difference while informing you about the unseen aspects of life in Indiana. If you miss an episode, you can now listen via podcast at nowhearthisindy.com. I am speaking today with Ben Harvey, who is the CEO of Indiana Primary Healthcare Association of the Indiana Primary Healthcare Association. Uh, I would imagine, Ben, that it's probably a busy time for you and your association, is it not?
1: It is a wildly busy time for us uh, and, and our, the community health centers across the state of Indiana.
0: Well, let's start with who you are, what your what your organization does. What is the Indiana Primary Healthcare Association?
1: The Indiana Primary Healthcare Association is a member association for the 35 federally qualified health centers and federally qualified health center lookalikes, which are also known as community health centers uh, here in the state of Indiana. So we represent them, uh, we provide them with education, training, technical assistance, and collectively, those health centers serve around 600,000 low-income, vulnerable Hoosiers in the state of Indiana.
0: Okay, so tell us what a community health center is for those of us who don't know.
1: Sure, yeah. So a community health center is a a primary health care clinic. So they provide outpatient, ambulatory, primary health care and medical. Behavioral health and dental services uh, to underserved populations in the state of Indiana and across the nation. Across the nation, they serve around 30 million uh, low low income or under uninsured, underinsured, underserved Americans. Here in the state of Indiana, we serve about 600,000. But they're community driven, so the boards of the of the CHCs have to be made up of at least 50% uh, of patients. So you have to you know, actually be receiving services from that clinic. They're meant to be community based services. They're meant to receive anybody regardless of their ability to pay. So people that are uninsured or on Medicaid are welcome to come in at any time. Uh, And they're, again, driven uh, to serve uh, and provide primary health care services. So we have them in Indiana from, I've heard someone say, from lake to river. So from up in the far northwest to the far southeast. Uh, So they're they're fairly ubiquitous.
0: So when you talk about the most vulnerable Hoosiers or people needing care, who are some of the people that show up to those community health centers? What, what does that look like? If you're if and maybe the better way to phrase this is, if someone is listening right now, how do they know if they qualify to visit one of these health centers?
1: Yeah, so there's really no qualification. I mean, anybody can come in. They, they accept anybody, again, regardless of their ability to pay. They generally uh, end up serving. They're designed to, to reach populations and reach people who otherwise may not be able to access care. So there's a, a federal partnership that goes along with the community health center model generally, and that you receive federal dollars to support efforts in providing primary care services to underserved populations. So again, the doors are open to anyone, but you're generally going to see populations that are unlike likely to access care through other other mechanisms. And most of the health centers here in the state of Indiana have long histories. So HealthNet here in uh, downtown Indianapolis, they've been serving since I believe the late 60s, early 70s. And a lot of these organizations grew out of local, very localized need uh, and then have just gradually grown beyond uh, to serve more and more patients within their within their broader communities. Um, so yeah, again, the doors are open to anyone and generally you're not going to there's not going to be slapped on the side of the building this is a community health center they're going to go by names like health net eskenazi health center for example um health link up in northwest indiana they have they have their own organizational names but the chc the community health center is just a generally a trade name a trade designation that we go under um, which is similar to the word hospital hospitals it's kind got a defined uh form, but you're not going to necessarily call it a hospital, you're going to call it Parkview or community or something like that. That's similar to community health centers in the state of Indiana. So again, they serve about one in five Hoosiers who are on Medicaid. They serve a lot of low-income communities. They serve a lot of racial and ethnic minorities. Of the 600,000 patients that community health centers serve, a little over half are uh, racial or ethnic minority. Uh, so serve a large number of, of folks in the African American communities here in Indianapolis area, and also up in the region, especially around Gary. So it, it's a pretty diverse group of folks, uh, and, and very committed to the idea of, of serving the underserved and providing high quality primary care services to to patients.
0: Is it just you know when I think of healthcare, I think in the listener's mind, in my mind, you think uh, checkups. I'm sick. I need antibiotics yeah. or whatever but when you when you say care what are the range of services that these community health centers cover
1: yeah so it's primary care so it's tip to tail primary care so you're going to do anything like you just said it's not they're not like minute clinics or quick clinic Quick clinics uh, or urgent care. Though some may have some urgent care facilities, they're really designed to be that that medical home for folks. So taking care of someone from you know birth to death. So taking care of patients, you know, mom, pregnant moms, uh, taking care of little kids, taking care of older adults. Uh, across the spectrum of needs. So that's what they're designed to do. They're also designed to connect you to resources you may not otherwise be able to. So it's not just, you know, we know that the individual's health is not just confined to the healthcare services they receive, it's confined, uh, it's, it's affected by other areas like transportation. Do you have adequate transportation? Do you have a job? Do you have adequate housing? And health centers are designed to be able to treat and, uh, and deliver services to the whole person, you know, not, not just necessarily what can occur within the clinic's walls, but also to connect to resources in the broader sense. And that's really the design. The design of it, again, is to be based in a community, uh, not, not just from uh, a typical you know, physician-patient relationship, though that's one of the primary things that they do, but also to provide services to the broader uh, individual's needs.
0: Be it oral care... Absolutely.
1: Behavioral health. That's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. These are things you can't, you can't separate someone's brain from their body. Uh, so yeah, that's, that's indicative of the model that health centers have. So yes. So access to dental services as well. Uh, typically that's done, you know, dental services in the state of Indiana, the vast majority are done by, by individualized dentists and the health centers are trying to integrate that piece into the medical services and behavioral health services to be able to treat the whole person.
0: So you know, obviously, we're in the middle of a pandemic, and I I, I have talked to some people who who f- think, for whatever reason, um, I was talking to one friend, and she said, you know, my my son's black, he can't get medical care. They probably would turn him away uh, if I went to the hospital. And and I said, I don't think that that's true. So can you help me speak to that? Because you know, I've I've I think there's a lot of people who are uninsured who often think I can't get care. And, or they think I have these symptoms. I can't go to the hospital. I mean, it sounds like what you're saying is the exact opposite.
1: Yeah, that's true. I mean, so I I wouldn't want to wipe away the longstanding inequities that uh, African Americans have faced in the state of Indiana and and across the United States. And myself, you know, growing up in a smaller rural town, Fairmount in in Grant County, you know, it, it is, it's difficult when you, uh, when you're not, you don't have a local hospital or you don't have a local provider accessing services. And I can understand some of the barriers that folks face. And that's the thing about the pandemic now that we're facing is that you're seeing the inequities that were already in the system and the failings of the healthcare system Um, in in Indiana and in the United States, they just get exacerbated by something uh, like this. And so I can understand the hesitancy, but certainly from a community health center perspective, uh, we are—we our doors are open to anyone, regardless of you know, race, ethnicity, ability to pay. Uh, there are providers out there. I know of no hospital in the state of Indiana that would turn you away uh, based on. On, on race or really ability to pay based on, you know, the situation that we're in. We have a good working relationship with the Indiana Hospital Association and they're pretty focused on taking care of every Hoosier. And so I would say, yeah, if, if you need care, uh, certainly you're, you're welcome in a community health center and you're welcome to a hospital across this state, don't be afraid to go in and get care. Don't be afraid to reach out to a provider. You're not going to get turned away uh, in this sense.
0: Speaking to Ben Harvey, who is the CEO of the Indiana Primary Healthcare Association. You're listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. Uh, obviously, with the pandemic raging, the the need for care is immense, and I imagine community health centers are on the front lines, like most hospitals are. My mom is an RN, and she's out in Hendricks County. Uh, and uh, they oh, they're, right, yeah. they're obviously being hit hard. I mean so what are yeah. what are what is being done differently at a lot of the community health centers to help fight the pandemic?
1: Yeah, I mean so one of the big things is telemedicine um, we're, we're seeing big implementation big increases in the amount of folks that are using telemedicine you know the state of Indiana has done something that I think is pretty beneficial so it allows telemedicine to occur similar to this right now uh, where you're seeing someone virtually or also at the same time you can do it over the telephone to connect to your doctor so we're seeing some really nice policy changes that are opening uh, uh, up doors that may not otherwise be open and we've seen providers you know increase the amount of telemedicine visits they're doing uh, by two or three times and I think it presents a great opportunity, when you're being told, you know, stay home, don't, don't leave, isolate yourself in your home, except for essentials. Um, there's a lot of fear that goes into, uh, so for example, I have a young son with Down syndrome, and he had an, had an accident in, in the last week or so, and he had injured his lower leg, and there was real fear as to how we're going to get that taken care of. You know, if you take a kid that has uh, immunocompromised state, and you put him into a hospital, and there's real fear there. My wife and I had to make a, a decision that wasn't easy to make. We eventually did. We eventually had to take him in because he had to get an X-ray. But I can understand folks fear with that. That's it's if you're if you're in a compromised situation, I can understand the fear of leaving your house. So something like telemedicine, which is what our health centers are really buying into. And I know a number of hospital systems as well in the state are. It's a great way to connect to your provider because your diabetes doesn't stop. Your asthma doesn't stop. Any of the health conditions that you have, they don't stop because of a, of a, a pandemic, because of COVID. Um, so this is a great way to connect to, to your providers. And if you need to reach a provider, I think it's a great mechanism to establishing a relationship that's going to exist, hopefully beyond, uh, just the pandemic to address needs that you have now, and also address and, needs
0: you have. And I'm not going to lie to you. I'm a, I'm somewhat of a hypochondriac, and so when all this started, and I was the allergy season was beginning, and I was a little worried. We we just interviewed uh, the the pathogens unit at IU Health, and she told us about their app, the IU Health app, the virtual screening app. And I called it totally free. She helped walk me through it. I won't I won't discuss my personal details on the air, but. Yeah, I think that that to me was a great comfort, and it was free, and it was super easy to use.
1: Yeah, I, yeah, I agree. I think it's a really easy thing to do. You know, the interesting thing is too. We've seen uh, from there's the provider side where the providers are trying to do it, but what you just described from the patient side, uh, every everybody I think is is now into the idea of of trying to connect. So there, the the barriers that you would classically assign to uh, to a technological uh, adoption, something like, hey, older folks aren't going to use this. I think there's a lot of benefits to it. And really, I think long-term benefits, like you just said, uh, you know, when flu season runs around next year, comes around next year, if your doctor is able to connect to you virtually, why, why, do, why not do that? Why, and instead of going into the clinic to get checked, I think there's some real serious benefits to it. And I, I think health centers are seeing that, patients are seeing that. Uh, I think the system is going to see this, the system in air quotes is going to see that long term. And I, I think this is going to end up becoming a, a more accepted mode of, of delivery of healthcare services and receipt of healthcare services.
0: Another thing that's out there that uh, I've seen a lot of is oh, the numbers of the COVID deaths are overinflated, that if you get in a car accident and you die, then they're going to mark you as a COVID death. Can you walk us through the process of somebody who unfortunately passes away from COVID, is marked as a COVID death? Uh, who makes that decision? And can you speak to that a little bit, kind of clarify for, for those of us who are not really sure how these numbers are actually calculated?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. You know, and I know, you know, Dr. Box at the state would be able to speak really well to this because they keep the birth and the death, record, death records and they, they manage all of these things and they're not managed. You know, it's not as if you're, you're, you're sent into a, uh, a black box or some, some random person off the street makes this decision. I we're used to work for the Missouri department of health and senior services and in the public health uh, field, this is a, this is an, uh, you know, a, an area of intense focus and, uh, and clarification, uh, trying to manage death records and find out how someone died, all those types of things. So I wanna say that it's not always crystal clear, but that being said, it's- the person that marks on your death record how you died is generally not someone who's again has no concept of what's going on right so it's generally a physician that may be a county coroner in some instances this is someone that has some knowledge and is making the best judgment that they can make at that time based on how you died so it's not Again, it's this isn't some some politician coming in or someone that is obviously trying to benefit from inflating numbers. though I'm not quite sure how anyone benefits from inflating numbers right now. Uh, it, it just doesn't seem conceivable to me. Also too I mean the thing to remember here is that there are probably a great number of folks here that are dying of COVID-19 or maybe potentially having some of those issues that are just unknown. Um, they don't have a diagnosis because testing is not as widespread. So the numbers, not to, not to sound scary, the numbers may actually be higher than what they uh, otherwise look at this point um, because we're not testing as frequently uh, or as widespread as, as what we otherwise could have been. So I would say, again, it, I don't think there's any... Um, any reason to, to, to drum up a conspiracy theory based on the number of deaths from COVID-19. I think there's some, it's, it, it's, it's, there's no hoax. There's no, there's no driving political force behind this. No one's winning from folks dying of, of COVID-19 and the decisions around someone's death and how someone's died is, uh, is, is not done uh, by folks who have no idea what they're doing. It's, it's typically done by experts, typically done by physicians, uh, by someone who's either treated that patient or knows that patient. Uh, and then that is taken into the, the State Department of Health uh, and managed and then reported on. So uh, again, I, I feel confident in the numbers that we have and I, I don't see any, any indication that someone's trying to again, win something or make this a bigger story than it otherwise isn't. Uh, I I don't see any indication of that.
0: So why do you think that this hits people with pre-existing conditions? What, why is it? What about the disease exacerbates some of those other things? Why is it hitting people with diabetes and high blood pressure harder? Do you know that?
1: I don't. I wouldn't want to speak to that aspect of to the physiological aspect of it. From a social aspect of it, though, I can certainly see where it is. If, if you're, you know, if, if we're seeing across the nation, uh, and I'm not sure I haven't seen that the state of Indiana has released any demographic information beyond age and location. But uh, typically, people with pre-existing conditions uh, or uh, individuals of color, racial, ethnic minorities, uh, you're typically going to see higher rates of uninsurance. If they're in a, a rural area as well, you're typically going to see lower access to healthcare services. So you're taking someone that's already vulnerable and exposing them to a disease that we don't have a solid treatment for. Um, you know that it is is moving very fast. Uh, it, it, you, you can see, I think to a great degree, if you're, if you already have vulnerable populations and you expose the whole population, everybody in the state to, to, to a virus like this, the individuals who are going to face the brunt of it are the, the ones that are vulnerable. I think you see that obviously with nursing homes, you see that with, uh, minority populations here in the state, you see it to some degree too, with rural populations. There were some issues down in Batesville, I know, um, so, yeah, that, that really is a driving force from a social perspective, from a physiological perspective. I'd leave that to someone that's that's far better trained and capable than I am with that. If you've talked to somebody at IU, I'm certainly not going to jump on <laughs> Well, know,
0: we'll, <laughs> say, oh, we'll, we'll have people go to uh, their local community health center and ask that. So final, final question is, you know, what do you see every day uh, that you just wish people understood better?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. I, you know, I think the answer would be that the thing I see most frequently now is that you know, people need to maintain that connection to uh, to their primary care provider. So we're seeing a lot of people stay away from clinics. A lot of people not want to come in. Exactly to what my personal situation is, and what you said as well, Chris. Is it? You know, I think there's a there's a real fear, and rightfully so, of uh, of coming into a clinic, coming into a hospital, coming into a community health center. So know that there are options available. That's what I would say. There, know there are ways to connect virtually to your to your physician, and know that the issues that you face uh, are are not ones that go away just because there happens to be another virus on the street right now. So I would really encourage folks to make those connections and utilize the resources they have available as well. What you spoke about earlier, if you're in a a situation where you don't have insurance or you don't have typical access to care. There are providers that are there. The community health centers around the state of Indiana, again, from from the lake to the river, uh, they're there and they're they're willing to accept you as a patient and to provide you the services that you need. So don't be afraid and don't think that there isn't care available because there certainly is.
0: If people want more information on the Indiana Primary Health Care Association, where can they go?
1: They can go to our website, so indianapca.org, like dot in indianapca.org. Our website's there, and we also have a, a function on there that has a find a health center, so if you're interested in finding a local health center or what services may be available, you can type in your street address, and it'll pop up local health centers that are close to you.
0: All right, Ben Harvey, CEO of the Indiana Primary Health Care Association. Thank you so much for joining me.
1: Thanks for your time. Appreciate it very much.
0: Thanks for listening to Now Hear This. I'm your host, Chris Spangle. If you missed any portion of our program, you can listen on our website, nowhearthisindy.com. If you'd like to have your organization featured on the show, please contact Gabby at 317-475-7407 or via the contact page on our website. Thanks for listening, and we will be back again next weekend with Now Hear This. Was America founded on oppression or have we always strived towards a higher ideal. This is Caleb Franz, host of Profiles in Liberty, and I am very excited to let you know that the second season of the podcast is now airing. Every Thursday, join me on a journey of discovery as you hear about the men and women who fulfill the promise of 1776. Season 2 of Profiles in Liberty, The Equalizers, is now airing exclusively on the We Are Libertarians podcast network.